0: Man, I feel bad after that song that I'm the one walking up here. Man, I don't feel like I live up to that at all. When I was in uh, high school, I actually got featured in my local newspaper uh, with a subscription underneath it, or not, uh, uh, an underwriting underneath my picture that said ZZ Top says every girl's crazy about a sharp dressed man. And this man finds it to be true. Really? That's actually a true story, because uh, as you may know, I'm a magician, so yeah, I went to my junior-senior prom, and I suddenly had a top hat and cane, which is why he was making fun of me there. But I, I didn't, holy cow! My goodness, apparently my butterfingers. But uh, I, uh, I didn't date hardly ever, and so my junior-senior prom, I had two friends of mine who were uh, freshman in college, they said, we'll go with you so you look cool. So this is a picture of my junior-senior prom. So I went with uh, two friends. I had my uh, my top hat. I actually had this expandable cane. Uh, I bought one in my, part of my magic arsenal. And so uh, geeky me, all the seniors are looking at me. Wow, I had no idea Chad uh, could even get a girl to talk to him, let alone go to a dance with him. And and every once in a while, I'd walk around with this expandable cane and just like, you know, make it appear. Now, Magicians aren't supposed to do this, but you know, I don't think it'll surprise you too much. This is a trick. I didn't really make it appear. So this magic, uh, this magic um, cane that I had that I got back in uh, you know, my high school days, it unrolls. And so I would walk around my junior-senior prom and just make this thing appear at random. And so like, poom! oh, that's cool, Poom! that's cool. So we're sitting there before the junior-senior dance here at prom, and I throw that thing in my pocket. And I'm uh, talking to my two friends, Allison and Danette, and they said, hey, uh, we should go dance. I said, what, well, do you want to take turns? Or what's the appropriate thing? They said, oh, no, we're going out together. So sure enough, we got together, and man, for the first time in my life, the seniors are like, what's going on out there? I'm literally slow dancing with Danette and Allison, and I'm like, this is my moment. I have finally, all those times I got called nerd for being future problem solving and chess club. Granted, I was in student counselor things. I mean, this is my big moment. I'm just basking in the glory, everyone looking at me until, you know, I bumped into Allison with my right hip and oh my goodness, all of a sudden this cane comes shooting out of my pocket, which, by the way, is very embarrassing to happen when you're dancing with two girls and everyone's staring at you. All of a sudden, it doesn't come out quite right. You have those tuxedos that's got that little pocket that kind of sticks. Oh my goodness. So this was what happened to me in my big moment of glory, and they took a picture of me and put it in the newspaper and said, every girl's crazy about a sharp-dressed man because of that moment, right? My big moment where I felt finally comfortable and I was able to make the most uncomfortable moment out of it. Well, we are in a series called Tailor Made. And in that series, we want to talk about how to try and make all of us feel comfortable in our spiritual journeys. So whether you're here in the the chapel today or watching out in the tent or online, thanks for joining us for our series Tailor Made. I want you to think about maybe your spiritual journey like walking into a tailor shop. You know, initially you may walk in And you're just going to check out the merchandise. In fact, you don't even want anyone to come talk to you. You don't want a salesperson to talk to you yet. You just want to see what do you guys believe? How do you guys act? What's going on here? You want to check out the merchandise. Just explore it together. And that's okay. No pressure. Then there might come a time you want to talk to someone. And that someone say, hey, could you help me see what might fit? What might be my size? What I might look good in? It might take days, several trips before you get to that place where you step up and let somebody, you know, get into your close personal space. It's kind of weird, right, getting measured. Somebody's very, very close to your personal space. Then there might be another stage where you move into wanting to step behind the the door and try something on. That's a lot what our church is about. We recognize people are coming in the front door and they just want to check it out. They don't want to necessarily commit. They don't want to talk to anybody. Let me come in. Let me watch online and then I'm going to leave. Other times might be days, weeks, months later you want to talk to somebody. Like here's some of my needs. How could you help? And then over a journey of time you might come to the place that you want to step into the dressing room and try on some of these beliefs. Try on some of these ideas that we've talked about as a church. In fact, that's really what we are about as a church is we try and help people take their spiritual journey one step at a time. So we believe that each one of us moves in our own journeys in a very unique and personal way. And it's usually one step at a time. I had questions, I had doubts, somebody created a comfortable environment where I could ask those questions for the first time. And then, maybe, there was another step. Well, you took another step You begin to say, I might believe this stuff. I might be open to believing this stuff. I met someone. All Christians seem like hypocrites. They all seem like they don't know what they're talking about. But I like that guy. I like that gal. I want to talk more to them about what's different in their life. Then maybe somebody explains to you what's different in their life, and it's not they're a neat person or have a neat personality. It's they say something about God living in me. And this message of forgiveness from the Bible has transformed me. And you might say, hey, I've been a Christian for many, many years. I explored some things, and and I met some people. And now, man, I want to really go deep into my faith and understand that. But even that's not success at our church. Success is whatever your individual path is with your individual steps, we then want to take wherever you are and invest back in other people. Your time, your energy, help other people with their questions, serving their needs. Learn how to have conversations and build relations with people who believe differently than you on all subjects and befriend them. Truly have friendships that transcend religious and political differences. And we know how to build relationships with people who maybe think that what we believe is ridiculous or are certainly skeptical toward it. So this is what Horizon is all about. We create environments that we call exploring environments. That's our motto as a church. We are yours to explore. We create environments we call connecting environments to help you connect with other people, to meet other people, to say, you know what? I I didn't realize there were some normal people who believe things I don't believe. And then we have what we call equipping environments to equip you on how to be a leader, how to be a parent, how to live out the best, most purpose-filled life that you can have. Now, you've already experienced our exploring environment. We have many of them. One of them is right here. Probably not a lot of churches opening up a ZZ Top or or the music you hear at the service because we're giving you an environment to explore kind of where you are in your journey. If you've ever come to our equipping service at 8.30 or 9.45, we go verse by verse through the Bible, sing music, have prayer and communion. We're presuming 20-year Bible veterans who want to go deep into the Bible verse by verse. But we also have environments we call our connecting environments. Just opportunities for you to get to know other people around the church. Sometimes that's one-on-one. Sometimes that's in a small group. Sometimes it's in a big gathering, like our family uh, event where we had, you know, a thousand people here on campus with food trucks. If you'd like to connect, we have another one of those coming up next Saturday. A chance just to connect, maybe meet somebody who believes differently than you. There's no religious message. It's just fun, live music. Our band's doing music for an hour. And Ken Kington, who spoke last week, doing pure comedy. If you've never been to a comedy event with uh, with Ken, it's pretty pretty good. In fact, let me give you a little snippet of the comedy event he did a couple years ago. Let's watch.
1: <laughs> I tell you this, my least favorite phrase is a dad. I might have, I might have. Last February it was cold. Last February I'm driving my sons to school when I hear out of the back seat uh-oh <laughs> what do you mean uh-oh uh I'm, I'm, i might i might have forgot something you <laughs> might have forgot something now i want to just take a little poll here someone on this side of the room here at february driving to school he might have forgotten what coat, very good, very good backpack, very good, I thought of those as well that wasn't it but those are good guests someone over here just, I might have forgotten who said shoes? do you know my son? he said I might have forgot my shoes I said well look on your feet no sir (laughs) at what point do you walk outside across a cold concrete floor and not have the thought there's nothing on my feet (laughs) amazing and it didn't stop there it's just ongoing a week later my wife told my kids grab your shoes get in the car we're going to eat dinner out tonight My son's in the living room. I said, did you hear your mother? Yes, sir. Go get your shoes. I don't know where they are. I said, I'll give you a hint. They're not on the ceiling. (laughs) Go get your shoes. I don't know where they are. I asked him, where's the last place you put them? He did not say anything, but the look on his face was like, Well, Yoda, if I knew that, I would go get them. <laughs> I have a college education and I am sucked into this conversation. That's the dumbest question known to man. I said, where is the last place you remember having them? On my feet. <laughs> so throughout the
0: year we have a variety of environments that are really designed to help you and your friends take their next step. So I want to talk a little bit about that today in our series Tailor Made. If you never heard, our mission as a church is to comfortably, that's a key word for us, comfortably connect people to God through the Bible, and a community of growing Christ followers. We think something happens when people get connected to God through the Bible. And that mission is really built on several different core values. And we've never done a series on our core values. Often you will feel our core values all around you, even if you haven't necessarily seen them. But our core values involve... Things like a comfortable environment and and culturally relevance and family and everyone helping out. There are ways in which we want to try and create these environments to help serve you. If you've never seen it, go ahead and put it up on the screen. This is uh, what our, our, our mission is about, what our mission statement is about. To comfortably connect people to God through the Bible in a community of growing Christ followers. A group of friends trying to make each other feel comfortable while we wrestle with this challenging message of the Bible. And our approach is very similar to that of a tailor, is that we want to use this idea that you can, in a customized way, come to discover what that's about. So why would we do a series about it tailor-made? Why would we do a series about, about you know, using a, a comfortable metaphor? Well, I recently got an opportunity to interview a tailor, and he told me a little bit about his story, and it really mirrored what we're trying to do. Let's watch. Since we're in a series called Tailor Made, I thought it would be kind of fun to stop by an actual tailor. So here we are at Trevor Furbay's in Marymount, the bespoke tailor, to find out exactly what goes into making a customized suit. So I met Trevor several years ago, and I wanted to kind of refresh my wardrobe. And I mentioned at the time that I'm a difficult case. I'm partially colorblind. I don't have good creative instincts when it comes to fashion. And my wife would take me into the mall, back when people went to the mall. And I remember every time she walked past the women's clothing section, there's some chemical in women's clothes that just sucked the energy out of me. I'm like, oh, is this ever going to be over? So how would you help somebody like me, or how did you help someone like me, really personalize that, uh, that approach to
1: fashion. Sure. I think it's a matter of just bringing you in, talking about clothing, trying to find out what you want out of it and why you need the clothing that you need. So just deep diving in to your needs and wants, and then we kind of go from there. Yeah, I think I was impressed with just how many questions you asked versus
0: just wearing clothes or grabbing something. How would you encourage someone who maybe is trying to decide, do I want to take an off-the-rack suit or really invest the time and
1: energy into a bespoke suit? Doing a full bespoke. Well, the full bespoke takes into account your whole body. Mm-hmm. It takes into account uh, the fit that you like on your trousers, the fit you like on a coat, your chest, waist, and seat, all of these mm-hmm. different things, where as an off-the-rack suit, it's really like, hey, this is going to fit everyone. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my thoughts.
0: Yeah, well, like one size fits all. Even at Horizon, you know, a lot of times, uh, people take a one size fits all approach to spirituality. So one of the reasons we're doing the series called uh, Tailor Made is because we try and take that personal approach. If someone's necessarily a 20-year Bible veteran, we're going to say, how do we help you take your next step? If somebody's maybe kicking the tires on Christianity or skeptical toward Christianity, it's just a different approach. So that one-size-fit-all doesn't necessarily work for us as well. And really for us, it's about people being the priority. So how would you, a lot of that stuff happens behind the scenes at our church. Sure. What's the behind-the-scenes approach of what happens once I go to get measurements and things
1: eventually get put into motion? Sure, absolutely. Well, the behind-the-scenes, really, it's us sitting down, And kind of going through those things again talking about your wants and needs as we talked about earlier and then you and i will sit down we'll build a plan and carve it out and move
0: forward from there yeah and i think what makes kind of a tailor and and a church similar especially the approach we're trying to take is we saw that jesus always made people the priority and we as a church try and do the same people are always the priority and making a relationship and friendship what we do at the bottom line so Jesus teaches his disciples to individually meet with people. And then when he leaves earth, they go and do the same. They take this customized tailor approach. And this tailor approach is always built on personal relationship and personal interest. Just amazing how Jesus is genuinely interested in everyone, whether it's the prostitute or the religious leader, whether it's a tax collector or whether it's a, a centurion who's commanding, you know, thousands of legions of troops. Jesus has this tailorized approach. It's always built on personal relationship and personal interest. If you hang around our church long enough, you're going to see that our weddings are very, very unique. I just did a wedding recently all built on a military theme because it was a military service family. Weddings and funerals, individual needs in our church call up, and somebody's got a legal issue like going on this week, so we called somebody else who maybe could make a connection and help somebody in need who couldn't necessarily afford the the needs that they had. So much of what we do, one-on-one, person-to-person, happens behind the scenes, but it's built on a personal relationship and personal interest. I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like and and why that came. Why did Jesus' approach become so contagious that his disciples followed that? I want to give you three principles of a a tailor-made approach that Jesus' disciples used. The first principle is to treat everyone, or treat each one rather, how you wish you could treat everyone. What if you would treat each one like you wish you could treat everyone, right? There's enormous need. If you gave to everything that could be given to with your time, energy, and money, we'd all be bankrupt emotionally and financially, right? There's just needs everywhere. But what if you decided this one, this person, this cause, I want to treat this one like I wish I could treat everyone. As I mentioned, my wife and I have a son with autism, and we can't help every child with autism. But may we try and treat this one like we wish we could treat everyone. That each person uniquely matters. Their needs, their their wants, their desires, their uniqueness. This idea the disciples saw in Jesus. There was a particular disciple by the name of Philip who really, really got this. Now, we pick up in the story in the book of Acts, which is a historical book about the church, and we find him kind of preaching to a crowd. He's got a big crowd all around him, and my goodness, is he popular? Is he well-known? Is he making a difference? It says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, this massive, incredibly wealthy city that he's making an impact in. And the multitudes, huge crowds are coming out to hear Philip speak. They heeded the things spoken by him, They didn't just hear it, they're practicing it, hearing and seeing these miracles that he did. Now an angel of the Lord suddenly appears to him when he's very, very busy making a big, big difference, huge legacy, huge crowds. And he says, hey, Philip, arise, go toward the south along a certain road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's like that's an abandoned road. In fact, he even mentions it's a desert. Like, why do I want to leave the city and go to the desert? Why would I want to leave the crowd and go out in the middle of nowhere? But he arose and went. He liked the crowd. He liked making impact. But when God called him to do something unique, he's just kind of used to, well, if God's asking me to do this, I don't need all the details, I'm going to go. So he goes out to the desert, and he's literally standing there like, if you were a time consultant for him, you'd be like, this is a bad use of resources. You got high demand, high impact over here with the crowd, the multitudes, the everyone, and you've chosen to stand out here in the desert. But What he's going to discover, something he saw in Jesus many, many times, there's one person about to walk past this path. And this one is just as important as everyone back in the city. So he's sitting there waiting in the middle of the desert. There's nobody around. And all of a sudden, an Ethiopian comes by. A man from Ethiopia who was just at Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified is on his way back home to Ethiopia. So a little background here. Ethiopia today, you'll see on a map behind me, down the middle middle section of Africa. But in their day, Ethiopia was a much broader term. Like Ethiopia came from a word used by Alexander the Great to refer to almost anyone from Africa. It actually meant one with, with darker skin. However, this particular Ethiopian didn't just come from Africa in general. He came from a section just south or just to the, uh, to the east rather and south of what we think of Ethiopia today, the Exumite Empire. This was a massive military power. This was a wealthy, wealthy area of Africa. Think of it almost like the Wakanda of its day, without maybe all the special effects. I mean, this was an incredible empire down here in Ethiopia. And this man is going to be the CFO of the leader of the Exumites, who's just gone up to that area. He's now headed back. And here's what it mentions about him. Behold, a man of Ethiopia is a eunuch. So he's a eunuch because he serves in the royal court. And they didn't want you to impregnate the princesses or the queen, as you're going to see in a moment. So he's a eunuch. He's made huge sacrifices, huge sacrifices, in order to be in this unique role of influence. He had great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury. Now, it looks like her name is Candace, but this is an official title. They found hieroglyphics of the Candakes, as they're often called, This was like saying, the Candace was like saying the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Africa, the Candace of Africa. So there was a whole series of years where the Candace is ruled with incredible wisdom, incredible might, incredible military power. And she's put all her authority, all of her treasury is governed by this Ethiopian eunuch. Who's just returned from practicing Judaism at Passover, and he's on his way back to Africa. And he's returning. Now, because Philip is willing to treat this one, he doesn't know anything about him, doesn't know his background, he treats the one like he would treat everyone back in the city. This encounter will literally transform the world. It will transform the world. Now let me jump back a 1,000 years. A 1,000 years before this, there was a woman named the Queen of Sheba. And she had heard Solomon up in Jerusalem was doing amazing things. So she makes her way up to meet with Solomon and learns about his God and learns about his faith. She returns. And this man, this eunuch, was practicing Judaism because a 1,000 years earlier, Solomon had chosen to spend time with the Queen of Sheba. Now, there are rumors, and I don't know if this is substantiated, but there's a pretty strong oral tradition that she returned with more than just uh, a story of Christianity. Solomon had 700 concubines, didn't necessarily practice what he preached real well, and many think she came back with a baby Solomon, if you know what I'm saying. In fact, there's even rumors, probably unsubstantiated, but where is the Ark of the Covenant today? There is one oral tradition that the Ark of the Covenant... During later times when the Babylonian Empire came through, that it was hidden in Ethiopia, and that's where it is today. I doubt it, that's one of the stories. But in the Bible, because Solomon spent time with one woman, Queen Sheba, there's now, a thousand years later, a man, a eunuch, who's practicing Judaism. And because Philip spends time with him, that area of the country will transform and be an incredible force even today for humanitarian. For humanitarian Humanitarian, for helping people who are in pain. <laughs> this ethic of treating the one like you would treat everyone transformed the Roman Empire. Maybe you've heard of, of, of Mother Maggie. Maybe you haven't. Speaking of customized programs as a church several years ago, we brought a leadership conference to our church and just invited any leaders who wanted to get trained under the best voices in the country for a few days to come to our church. And one of the ladies we heard from is Mama Maggie. Mama Maggie is the Mother Teresa of the north part of Africa in Egypt. And she, uh, she was tossed away as a child, abandoned, to starve. And she began to walk through the streets of Egypt, and she found little babies literally thrown away, still crying in the garbage. And she was committed to transform the world. So she began to start orphanages one after another after another after another because she wanted to do unto others what Jesus had done unto her for Jesus says he adopts us when we are abandoned. She's what's called a Coptic Christian. That's the brand that comes from this eunuch because of what Philip did. It's all through Egypt and all through Africa even today and she's the mother Teresa bringing the most orphanages to that day because one man named Philip spent a little bit of time with a eunuch that came back and transformed the Exumite Empire. Or maybe you know another name. She's considered the Mother Teresa of Africa. Ababek Kobina, she died this year of COVID. But for the last 20, 30 years, she had been a child bride, escaped some of the uh, the terrible um, injustices of being a child bride, and she was committed to giving a new path and a new way for children in Africa because of her encounter with Jesus and her encounter with Christianity. She began to treat each one like she wished she could treat everyone. And that tailor-made approach that one encounter with one person can make a difference in the whole world is what drives us as a church. Challenging leaders to change the world just like the Candace, the Ethiopian, Queen of Sheba. In fact, maybe as you look at our church, you're going to find there's lots of opportunities for you to do that. I'm sure you're doing that in many personal ways yourself, but we try and find ways at our church that we can prioritize the one, that we as leaders can be educated inspired to go out and help. You'll talk to people here at our church that have been on back-to-back trips. Not only were they impacted by the trip, but they began ex- exposed to needs in, in India or, or Haiti or Mexico. And God did something in them and then they began to say, I gotta give, I gotta serve, I gotta be part of this. If you if you talk to many, many people in our church, you talk to Jay who started our our, our trips originally to Belize, or our partners for Belize who've gone down and, and, and cleaned out people's ears or or take opportunities to to see women that little girls that if they could just have a couple hundred bucks a year, they wouldn't go into prostitution. You could talk to Pam and others at our church. Would say, "I saw that need, and and I didn't have to go through the church. I was interested in being involved in that." Jay said, "I started this because we have to make a difference to treat each one like we treat everyone." Maybe you've gone down on a Sunday night with our gospel team mission, or maybe you talk to folks like Art who've gone and discipled or or walked alongside and mentored individual guys down at City Gospel because of the message of Jesus, or maybe here in uh, interparish ministries you've seen our blue bags that we stuff with, with, with their perishables. But we're starting a new one, a brown bag, because we're doing a hygiene drive. And if you reach inside the bag, you'll find a little list of hygiene products. How do we treat each one in our neighborhood, here in Newtown and the surrounding area, like we wish we could treat everyone? It's what we're about as a church. It's a tailored approach of saying we're willing to personalize each person's spiritual journey, each person's, each person's individual need, because every person matters to God. So that's our first principle. Treat the one like you wish you could treat everyone. So he's standing there waiting as this eunuch shows up. And he comes up on his chariot. And the second principle we see is that everyone, everyone needs someone to help them explore. Everyone needs someone to help them explore. How can I get better at this? How can I understand this? I got some questions about that. That's exactly what happens here. He's literally waiting in the desert by Gaza. Like, why in the world am I out here? Little does he know it's going to transform the world for 2,000 years. And along comes his chariot. it says the Ethiopian eunuch is in his chariot. And he's sitting in the chariot. This is a very wealthy man. He has a chariot of his own. He has a driver for his chariot. And he owns a scroll. Most people did not own a copy of the Bible, a scroll. This is very, very unusual. So the man of Ethiopia was sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I? Unless someone guides me. And he asked Philip to come and sit with him. So imagine this chariot comes running on by. Philip's sitting there like, what am I doing? And God's like, prioritize the one. And by the way, he just passed you. You got to catch up. Can you imagine like oh, oh, he's trying to catch up with these horses. Gets alongside. Hey, hey, what are you reading? Isaiah. Do you understand it? No. Can I help you? I, I need some help. <sighs> but notice what he doesn't say. I really need a book, a podcast, a radio show, a television show. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what he wanted was a person. A person to sit with him and say, I've got some very specific, very individualized, very custom questions. Right now it's about Isaiah. Can you help me? See, everyone needs someone to help them explore. Someone to come alongside and say, it's not a dumb question. It's not a stupid thing to ask. How can I help? How can I come alongside? That's why our vision as a church is to be that someone. Wherever you are in our three environments, wherever you are in our journey, how can we come alongside? It's the reason those of us who've been attending for 20 years give financially, serve financially, serve in giving of our time. We want to create an environment to be the someone to help you at whatever time you feel like you'd like our help. In fact, we had kind of a custom guys trip I did last year. We went, uh, we went skiing at uh, Jackson Hole and it was fun because it was three guys and myself. And while we're skiing, my friend Matt, my friend Bill, my friend Trey. So after we skied all day and just had a great time, we sat at dinner that night and we just began to chat and have a glass of wine. And I said, guys, I don't think any of you know each other. You just all know me and I'm kind of the hub of the friendship. With the exception of Bill and Trey, they knew each other. I said, why don't you guys hear the story of what God's done in your lives? So we jumped back, and Bill went first. Bill said, yeah, I started attending Horizon 22 years ago before you even opened to the public. I met the leadership team at the church because they happened to be at the same hotel I was at up in Chicago. They were going to a conference, and I was doing business. They invited me to come in and to chat with them. I'm like, what are you up to? And they said, well, we're going to start a church. I said, well, I'm an atheist. Um, That's weird. They said, well, we're starting a church for people like you who don't believe the way we do. And Bill was fascinated. So Bill came back to Cincinnati, where he lives, and he began to attend our church. He became friends with Trey and many others, and they began to walk with him through his questions, through his doubts, through his journey. And as we're sitting at dinner that day, he just talked about how eventually, through friendship and connection from the very early days, he'd come to know Christ. Then Trey talked about his volunteering and, and call into leadership and how he was giving 30 or 40 hours a week uh, of volunteer work putting this building together as one of our general contractor kind of liaisons to the church and, and how we dreamed and we hoped and we prayed that after moving you know, 210,000 cubic yards of dirt that we hoped we could build a space that people would show up to and that people would feel comfortable to connect and grow. It's like Bill's story was our story. And Matt jumps in. Well, my first Sunday was when you moved in this new building. I wasn't a believer in God or Jesus, but I knew this property pretty well because one of my relatives got shot on this property. Mm. And I came in the front door and thought, let's check it out. So I came in the door. The first two people I met were two important, with the same names, as two important people in my life. And that just felt like too much of a coincidence and So I kept coming back and I became friends with people and joined the group and got to know Chad and and I now call myself a follower of Jesus. It was just so neat at this little dinner after some downhill skiing to hear how God had worked through these different environments over the years. And Trey was encouraged as somebody who had given large amounts of money and large amounts of time over the years to help prepare these. That Bill was encouraged that his story was somebody else's story. It was just so awesome to be part of a place that we can help everyone who's ready to find someone to help them explore. And that's why as a church we create these, these tailored tools to help you with that. Yeah, whatever the environment is that you're in, we have different tools. You know, one of our tools is Fast Track Bible. We know if you don't know the Bible real well, it can be embarrassing to kind of like jump into all these people who are experts. So we had a Bible you can read through in 90 minutes. We've done several series on that. My buddy Mark, who I played volleyball with several times, he's a president of a company here in Cincinnati. He's about to start a business owner, business leaders, small group with Fast Track Bible starting this week. Business leaders just going through, and in eight weeks, you'll know what the whole Bible is about because that tool impacted him, and he wants it to impact his friends. In fact, his son loves this tool so much, he probably comes and orders another 20 to 50 copies every semester. He moved out to California. He passed them out to millennials and Gen Zers who don't like religion, but they wish they had a tool to understand what the Bible's about. He passed these out like hotcakes. In like he told me recently he passed out one to the winner of a Big Brother from several years ago who's got this massive blog following and began to talk about how Fast Track Bible has really been helpful in him getting to know what the Bible and God and Jesus is all about. But maybe it's an equipping environment. You're like this eunuch, like what in the world is Isaiah all about? One of our tools is our Our app which we have poured tons and tons of time and money into to be a tool for you. You'll see it's got current messages on there, so you can track it. We went back over 18 years and put actual uh, topics that you can search by topic, 18 years of messages, so you can find depression, leadership, parenting, marriage, sex life, whatever it is, you can dig into topics and what the Bible speaks to that about. Every week after our first service, we have a pathway, a little two-minute video summarizing our equipping service, a little shot-in-the-arm kind of booster for you um, spiritually during your week. We have past messages, current messages. We have another thing called book by book. If you click on that, it'll pull up the screen on your right-hand side. Every single book of the Bible, and on the right-hand side are all the messages we've done on that book over the last 20 years. Luke, 109 messages. John, 48 messages. Acts, 35 messages, and on and on and on. So that you can go, I don't understand this. And I'm not quite ready to talk to someone yet, but you can... Literally click on the verse you're wrestling with. Difficult passages like, why is there so much violence in the Old Testament? We address that in Joshua and 1 Samuel. And and how do I connect with God in a series on prayer through Psalms? These are tools we've created to tailor make your journey and your needs. So, maybe those are tools that are helpful for you in your journey, what you're trying to do. Because our real desire, our real hope is that you would not only explore, not only be equipped for life, but you would connect. And so throughout the year, you hear lots and lots of ways you can connect at our church. Four Critical Decisions, part two starts tonight if you want to join us. Family Fun Nights, Comedy Nights, as we addressed earlier. Horizon Family Pickness, these are all designed to help connect you to someone on your journey. Which brings us to our last principle and our last principle is that we believe that everyone can get to know God's sent one. God sent a final fixer, a final forgiver, and he wants you to know that person. He wants me to know that person. And that's what that eunuch was reading about that day, and he didn't really understand it. And if you read the book of Isaiah, it's very confusing. I would need someone to explain it to me too. So <laughs> Philip has just finished running. He just asked him, do you know what that means? He's like, no. And so he reads out loud from his little book. And here's what it says. From the scroll of Isaiah. The scripture which he was reading that day said, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. That sounds pretty confusing. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say... Is he talking about himself or somebody else? And this is a prophecy from like 500 B.C. Predicting that the Messiah would be led as a man to the slaughter, but he wouldn't speak when he was being tried. Well, literally, this eunuch has just come from Jerusalem, where Jesus was just crucified, and he did not open his mouth to get free under the under his opportunity with Barabbas. No, that's not Barabbas, but with uh, Pilate. And so all these things are on his mind. He's just seen all this stuff happen in Jerusalem. And he's like, I wonder if this 500-year-old prophecy applied to that guy. And through a whole series of questions and dialogue, this eunuch helps him understand that Jesus was a long-predicted, very specific, detailed, sent one from Jesus. And though many people had thought the Messiah would come and be a conquering king that would destroy the, the, the Romans and Greeks, he would come instead as a sheep. A lamb that would die to offer forgiveness to the world. And this little conversation with the CFO of the Exumite Empire will transform Candace, transform Africa, and revolutionize the world. Everyone can get to know his sent one. Now here's something I know. As a guy, I don't like to be in environments where I feel incompetent and foolish. I avoid those environments. Which is why, though I love playing sports, you know, I play sand volleyball every week, I, I'm a wakeboarder, I'm a skier, I don't watch a lot of sports. Every time you know I go to do a sports analogy, you don't see me sweat because I know I'm going to screw up who a general manager is. I just don't, I don't know the characters. So every time I go to step into a sports analogy, I just feel incompetent because I know I'm going to screw it up. Another area I feel incompetent in is I don't think I've been in a gym in... 30 years because the last time I was in a gym was between my sophomore and junior year of high school and I thought this is my big moment I gotta finally you know, get some muscles on these arms and so I'm sitting in there and, and everybody's like bringing up the big heavy you know, put this on this side and I'm like I'll start with the bar and so like everybody else is pumping weights and I'm like I'll start with the bar and I remember laying there I like got two spotters for the bar you know
1: Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I
0: uh, won. And I thought, oh, you know, you got to start somewhere. And I remember my coaches who I loved and still love. I remember catching them out of the corner of my eye and seeing them laugh at me. Now, they didn't mean anything by it. Clearly, I haven't recovered from it. <laughs> But I know for me, I don't go into a workout room where I'm going to feel humiliated. I'm going to feel embarrassed because I don't look like I'm supposed to look. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I don't have the terms all correct. We know that many of you have been building successful businesses, successful families for 20 or 30 years. And you say, I just don't know all the Bible stuff. And I'm going to get around Bible people who talk in a Bible way. And I just am going to feel like a rookie. So everything about our church is designed to presume wherever you are, every question's okay. There's no dumb questions. We try and dialogue and create environments and tools that presume wherever you are, we want to help you take your next step. That's what we're about as a church. So here's our application for us. How can we serve you and meet your needs? Let us serve you and meet your needs. And if you're like, hey, you're doing a good job, well, then help us serve others and meet their needs. That's what we're about as a church. You might say, well, I've thought a lot. I didn't know you had these many tools. I didn't know you had this many environments. And you might want to individually stop after a service at the hearth room, talk to John, talk to me, talk to Drew, and say, hey, i got something I'd like help on, and I don't want to be in a group. I want to meet with one person like the eunuch did. I want one person to help me with some of the things I'm wondering about. Because we guard your confidentiality very, very seriously here at our church. We know that for many of us to open up and to trust somebody else, it's a big deal. And we're, we humbly are just so grateful at those moments that you open up and let us into your life. So let us know how we can serve you. Maybe it's the tools we offer. Maybe it's the services we offer. Maybe it's a relationship that you want to meet with somebody else in a similar stage of life as you're in. Or maybe you want to help us serve others and meet their needs. And maybe it's the variety of things I talked about on mission trips and and local opportunities to help with inter-parish ministries. Maybe it's you want to give financially or give of your time. You want to say, somebody create an environment for me to explore and for me to equip because of their financial giving and building this place to facilitate this work. Or maybe you know that somebody else volunteered to help park your car or hand you a program or or help teach your kids. You're like, I want to help serve and meet the needs of others. Where's the need? Here's my gifts. Here's my strengths. I want to be part of a place like that. Well, this eunuch is so struck by this conversation that he suddenly stops the chariot and he's like, I see some water over there. And Philip, beginning the scripture, explained to him how Jesus fulfilled all these predictions. And he's like, I want to believe in Jesus right now. And the eunuch said, all right, I see some water over there. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, well, here's how you become a Christian. You believe in your heart that Jesus is the son of God and he died for you, that he's the one that Isaiah is talking about. So, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, I walked over the water. It wasn't magic water. It wasn't a big religious ceremony. It's literally like water on the side of the road near the desert. Not a lot of water in the desert. And when you go under the water to be baptized, it's really a picture of what Jesus does for you. When you go under the water, it's a reminder you're fully washed, past, present, future. That's what baptism means. When you come up out of the water, you didn't just die with Jesus to be forgiven, you're raised with Jesus. And you're raised, washed, and clean, and new. Now, you may not ever decide to make that decision. That's fine. That may not be your step. But whatever the step is, you're going to hear people all around Horizon who have taken that step, and they have found incredible purpose. They found incredible courage and wisdom in walking the path that Jesus laid out. I'd like you to hear one of their stories even now. It's my friend Colin who's been on a journey, and you'll see him walking through the very steps, checking some things out for a while. Asking somebody to maybe get up close and personal, check his measurements, find out what his needs are, and then ultimately trying some things on. I'd like you to hear his story together as we continue.
2: In high school, when my brother was in middle school, he met some guys uh, that were attending youth group here at Horizon, and he kept coming home after Sunday service. Uh, we weren't attending at the time, and he would come home and tell us all about how much fun he was having and really encouraging us to come. And so I said, hey, if, you know, my brother is enjoying this this much and it's been really beneficial for him, uh, you know, I'll go and I'll, I'll check it out. And so we came to the exploring service, which is just as it's described. It's meant to be approachable and where you can ask questions and be curious. And I did that for a while, and it was just a fun fun place to um, – not feel uh, it forced on you. It was more of, here's what we're learning in the book today and how it really relates to you. And I liked that aspect. It wasn't, here it is, now go home and read it. It was, here it is, now let's talk about how it really impacts you in your life. And I thought that that was a much more approachable way to uh, attack your faith. So I would say as my journey continued, um, I came to meet my now wife, Alex. Um, She's my partner for life, love her. And, uh, she was very strong in her faith growing up and has kept that all through our dating life and into our marriage. And she really encouraged me in uh, in asking those questions and being curious. And what I thought was, um, something I don't really share a lot is that she would say, you know, I don't have the answers, but you, you know, we have this church community at horizon and people that are approachable. And I had already started asking questions of Drew and Chad. And I thought, um, well, I'm going to, uh, my initial thought was I'm going to challenge them because I feel skeptical about things. And I hate that word skeptical, but that's, that's really the best way to put it. And I would try and say, well, what about this? And what about that? And the way that they handle those questions and you guys, you light up and you're excited, you, you see it as a challenge and you can't wait to, to take on that question. And that made me excited to learn the answer and to learn. And, and it usually shifted. It would be it's not the question. You need to think about it in this way, those aha moments. And we've had so many great moments, whether it's here at Horizon or, you know, in group or just at lunch and where the light bulb clicks. And that made me comfortable to, okay, I can ask questions. And then this guy, Ken Kington came and spoke. And, uh, you know, I don't know if people have heard of him, but he spoke at church and he's a comedian and it was funny. And it was, again, lighthearted and approachable. And then he did authentic manhood. And that was a series that we did here with uh, several different iterations, um, where guys can come and listen to Ken speak. And then there's breakout questions. And that first couple table talks they're there, I wouldn't say awkward, they're different, but you feel comfortable after a while because you realize all these guys around the table have the same questions you do. Feeling comfortable in my faith and deciding, yeah, this is This is who I am. I am a a follower of Christ, um, and we had talked about baptism for a long time. I think what really led me to baptism was that piece of knowing the questions don't have to stop, and I kind of contextualized that in everyday life. You know, what I do for a living, we have continuing education as part of our job. Um, I never stop learning. If I stop learning, I don't do my job right. Baptism is, to me, um, you know, professing that faith to your friends and family um, but what was really rewarding about my baptism was looking around afterwards at everyone standing around that pool and realizing, okay, I've shared my faith with them, but now they're a part of that faith journey, and they're there for those questions. They're there. They came there to see this happen, and it's, you know, I, I used to think that baptism was kind of a selfish thing until I understood what it really meant. It's not about me. <laughs> it's me making it about God and my relationship with Him.
0: We want to say thank you for being here this morning. We hope that Horizon is that place that you can experience how God can be different in your life. Have a great week. We'll see you all next weekend.